There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Jesus is mentioned in many religions in this world, but is it the same Jesus? Are they describing the same person that you and I believe in as Bible believers? We're going to inspect that. See, quite often they acknowledge the existence of a person named Jesus, but they assign to him a different identity, a different nature, and a different purpose. So we're going to explore what other religions believe as compared to Christianity. At a place called Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's a very important question because a lot of people have opinions about who Jesus is. But will the real Jesus Christ please stand up? Well, you can find him standing up and emerging in the pages of Holy Scripture, the Bible. And that's what we're going to refer to often as we proceed. Now, let me describe to you a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. From the 3rd century BC until the 5th century AD, there was a shrine to the Greek god of fertility named Pan at the source of the Jordan River that's right there in Caesarea Philippi. And also that name of that area, that city, is in honor of a Roman ruler. And uh, that particular Roman ruler was at a certain point deified. And so not only was that a place of worship of a false god named Pan, but also men that were considered divine. Because at his death, Julius Caesar was officially recognized as a god by the Roman state. And in 29 BC, now that's about the time Jesus was walking the earth, Caesar's adopted son, the first Roman emperor, Augustus, allowed the Greek cities scattered throughout Asia Minor to set up temples to him. And that's really historically the first manifestation of emperor worship in the Roman Empire. So this was an undercurrent in Jesus' day. And right there at Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Let me read the whole passage to you. It's from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they responded, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus drew the focus a little tighter and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who was the one who almost always spoke up first, 
He said, you are the Christ. Of course, as a Jew, he would have said, you are the Mashiach. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then something very important was spoken. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock, he didn't say on you, Peter. He said, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, newer versions say the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. What foundation is he talking about? The foundation of divine revelation concerning who Jesus is. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then he told Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So the key to spiritual authority is the recognition of who Jesus is correctly revealed in the Bible. Can you see the importance of it now? So let's go to what various religions have to say about Jesus. Incidentally, getting back to the idea of Caesarea Philippi being a place of pagan worship, I've been there six times. And every time our tour guide has told us at a certain point, there was an earthquake that shifted the source of the Jordan River from the mouth of Pan and there was this shrine to Pan in the side of the mountain, and it shifted that, I don't know, about 50 or 100 feet to the right, so that, in a sense, it looked like God refused for the source of water in the Holy Land to come out of the mouth of a false deity. And the water of life, the thing that sustains human beings and lifts our soul from the degradation of the flesh to a relationship with him, cannot flow from a false interpretation of the nature of God. It has to be from God himself. Now, let me touch first on some of the cults and religious groups that include biblical references in their belief system. Let's start with Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that before his incarnation, Jesus was actually Michael the Archangel. And although Jehovah made the universe through Jesus, he is not considered God and he's not considered co-equal with the Father. He died on a stake, not on a cross. And his body was destroyed, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll tell you that he was resurrected as a spirit being, but not physically resurrected. Yet he created various bodies for himself when he appeared to people. Traditional Christianity, however, teaches that Jesus' physical body after dying on the cross was physically resurrected. The New World Translation is the, the Bible that Jehovah's Witnesses claim to be inspired. It's their translation. And let me show you how they changed the identity of Jesus in the New World Translation. For instance, John chapter 1, verse 1. In their Bible, it says, In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Small letter G. They reduced Jesus from being God himself, the one God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, to just an individual deity. In the beginning, the word was a God. However, the King James Version, the New King James Version, says in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God, and definitely shows that he was a manifestation of God on the earth. There's a huge difference. Now let's go to Mormonism. Now Mormonism recognizes four main books as their source of scriptural inspiration. And the Bible is one, and the Book of Mormon is another. And of course, in that worldview, the Book of Mormon supersedes the Bible in uh, the Revelation. It imparts, according to them, it's the most perfect revelation of who Jesus was. And in Mormonism, Jesus is recognized as being a separate God from the Father. He is called the first spirit child, resulting from the union, a marital kind of union between our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother. His body was created, his physical body, that is, was created through a sexual union the Heavenly Father had with Mary. The Heavenly Father being referred to as Elohim. Also, it is taught that Jesus was married to multiple women. Now, maybe not all Mormons believe this, but it is in their doctrinal base, in the history of their church, that Jesus was married to multiple women and had literal children by them. He bore the sin of the human race in Gethsemane, but not on the cross. And so the cross is not emphasized as the means of atonement. However, the resurrection in Mormonism is literal and gives us hope for the resurrection too. So there's an agreement there. One place they really diverge from the truth, though, is the belief that Lucifer was also a spirit child of the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Mother. So Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. You won't find that in the Bible. What about Christian science? Mary Becker Eddy taught that Jesus was not the Christ, but a mere man who embodied the Christ idea or the Christ principle. Jesus was not God manifested in the flesh, according to her teaching, the founder of Christian science. Neither did he suffer for the sins of humanity. Christian science teaches that Jesus was not resurrected and will not return. So major beliefs that we hold to as, you might call us conservative, fundamental Christians who embrace the Bible, literally, it's not in agreement with Christian science doctrine. Another new thought church is United Church of Religious Science, founded by Dr. Ernest Holmes. He taught, and this is kind of complicated, but I think you can get it. He taught that the Father is the supreme creative principle. He was trying to define what the Trinity is or the triunity of God according to their worldview. He said, the Father is the supreme creative principle. The Son is the entire manifestation of the infinite in any and all planes, levels, states of consciousness, and manifestations. So the whole universe and everything in it, both physical, emotional, mental, all of that is a manifestation of the Christ, the Son. The Holy Spirit is the feminine aspect of the Godhead, 
in the United Church of Religious Science. So it equates Jesus or the Christ with the manifestation of the physical universe. And that's certainly different than what the Bible teaches. Now, what is Jesus acknowledged as being in New Age spirituality and also some new thought streams of spirituality? In New Age outlooks, Jesus is a mere man who achieved Christ consciousness. In fact, many of them believe that he actually studied under gurus and swamis in India in order to learn how to awaken his Christ nature through certain occultic processes like the chanting of mantras or meditating on the third eye, things like that. So Jesus is not the savior of the world in New Age spirituality. Rather, he is a wayshower. He shows us how to awaken our own spirituality so that we can become Christ also so that we can walk in our Christ nature, our Christ consciousness, which would be also termed things like self-realization, God consciousness, etc. In New Age spirituality, some believe that Jesus is what they would call an ascended master, one of many, and that he belongs to the great white brotherhood which is a group of celestial beings that are overseeing the development and the evolution of this planet. But it throws him in there with others that they would revere, like Buddha, like Krishna, etc. And that one day they will all, the great white brotherhood, will bring a spiritual awakening to this planet until we all realize our quote-unquote godhood, until we're all awakened to the higher nature. So other world teachers are considered a part of this group, and Jesus is just brought down to that level with all the rest of them. Hmm. What about Islam? I taught on Islam in a former episode, and you should go back and listen to that if you want a lot more detail. But in that faith, he is referred to as Isa, I-S-A. He's not the son of God in the Islamic faith but he is considered to be a prophet and one of the most respected of over 124,000 prophets that Allah has sent into this world. Jesus is given a very prominent role in the Quran. He's described as being born of a virgin, living a sinless life, and it's prophesied that he will come back again to fight with the Antichrist in the last days. So I usually ask Muslims about those particular beliefs in the Quran, and I mention we need to inspect what Jesus has to say because he's the only man ever born into this world, according to your holy book, that was ever born of a virgin. And of course, they have a different way of looking at that. They don't believe that he was the son of God because one of their main sayings is God is not begotten, neither does he beget. However, they teach in the Quran that the Holy Spirit breathed into the womb of Mary and formed the body for this prophet, Jesus, to dwell in. And that when he was on the earth, he lived a sinless life. However, it's very clear in the Quran that Muhammad did have sin and that at a certain point it had to be removed by Gabriel from his bosom. So that would put Jesus on a much higher level. 
And that needs to be mentioned when you're talking to a Muslim. All right, let's go to the faith known as Baha'i, B-A-H-A-I. Baha'i claims to embrace all religions of the world. And when they have their gatherings, they quote from many different holy books. However, they are very exclusive in some of their beliefs. They promote the idea that Jesus is just one of many manifestations of God. And that's a very important term in Baha'i because that does not mean God incarnate in a human body, as we believe, as Christians. But they believe there have been many manifestations of God, such as Adam, Moses, Krishna, Buddha, and many others. And these manifestations of God always increase in greatness. That's an important point. So if that be so, Jesus was greater than Moses, but Muhammad was greater than Jesus. And the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of Allah, that's his name, Baha'u'llah, the glory of Allah was greater than Muhammad. That's the Baha'i faith. So they relegate Jesus to an inferior position, certainly not the only begotten son of God. What about Hinduism? Now, of course, Hinduism predates Christianity, and so in the beginning there was no reference to him, but after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure they had to interpret his nature, and so most Hindus would consider Jesus to be a great teacher, a great guru, like all the hundreds, the thousands of swamis and gurus that they revere as being spiritually awakened. Some who are worshipers of the god Vishnu. Vishnu is one of the three main Hindu gods. You have Brahma, who is the creator god, Vishnu, who is the preserver god, and Shiva, who is the destroyer god. And followers of a bhakti yoga faith that devotes them, that devote themselves to the worship of Vishnu believe that he has had many incarnations in this world and that Jesus would be just one of the incarnations of Vishnu into this world, but that there have been many. And so his death did not provide atonement for sin. Of course not, because in Hinduism, the way for the soul to ultimately be liberated is through the process of reincarnation coming into this world over a million times from the lowest form of minerals and matter to plants to animals to human beings and then evolving through many human incarnations until a person reaches perfection. Well, there's no room in there for someone dying for the sins of humanity who can wash your sins away just when you invite him to be Lord of your life. And of course, they don't promote the idea of Jesus' resurrection because they don't believe in resurrection. They believe in reincarnation and the evolution of a person to higher spiritual states, a completely different way of looking at it. Buddhism, which uh, came into being about 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, does not acknowledge Jesus at all. Uh, and some Buddhists may have some kind of idea of who he might have been, but there's no generally held belief within Buddhism about who Jesus was. Sikhism, which is an offshoot of Hinduism, 
It was founded by Guru Nanak, who did not believe in the caste system of Hinduism, and he did not believe in all the multiplicity of gods in Hinduism. He would have promoted the idea that Jesus was a saint, a holy man, a teacher, but not that he was God, because Sikhism, or at least most Sikhs, do not believe that God can be born or that he can die. And so the idea that Jesus was God in a human body would cancel out that belief. And because Jesus was born and lived a human life, therefore, especially because he died, he cannot be God in that belief system. Now, what about Jesus as revealed in the Bible? Let me go through this before I close. Number one, John the Baptist recognized his divinity because when people asked John who he was, they asked him if he was the Messiah. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the coming prophet. But they said, who are you? And then he reverted back to a prophecy of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 40, verse 3, where he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, if you go back to Isaiah 40, verse 3, the full scripture says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Did you hear that? So John the Baptist identified himself with a prophetic scripture that declares that God would walk the earth in the desert, which is exactly where John the Baptist was baptizing his followers. Besides, when it says, prepare the way of the Lord, in the original scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 3, the word translated Lord is the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, which is more properly rendered Yahweh or Yahovah. And so it's the personal name of God. And John said, I'm preparing the way of Yahweh. And then when Jesus walked up, he recognized him as being the fulfillment of that prophecy. So John definitely recognized the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about the favorite scripture that so many people quote, John 3.16? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that phrase mean, only begotten Son? In order to explain it, let me insert a word that makes it more comprehensible. In other words, because God has other sons, if you've been born again, you're a son of God. I've been born again. I'm a son of God. And I was begotten of the word, according to James's writings, and born of the spirit, according to John chapter 3. So why was Jesus called the only begotten son? The best way for me to explain that is to say he was the only son begotten only of the father. You and I were begotten physically by our earthly fathers, and therefore we're much different than the firstborn son of God whose body came from the father and whose spirit came from the father. He was the only son begotten only of the father. So that puts him in a class altogether different. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he's referred to as the image of the invisible God. That exalts him to a very high position. 
the image, not an image, not one of many images, as they would say in Hinduism, but the image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father and that will be sufficient for us. He said, Philip, have I been with you for so long and you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen my Father. Wow, what a powerful scripture that shows the divinity of Jesus without question. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, I love this passage of Paul. He said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. That was God walking the earth when Jesus walked the earth. When the wind blew through his hair, he was the word made flesh. That was the wind blowing through the pages of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When the waves of Galilee crashed over his feet, he was the word made flesh. So that was the water of Galilee soaking into the pages of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way through to the book of Revelation. See, his everlastingness is verified not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet described the city of his birth. And he said, but, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, referring to the Messiah, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, from everlasting, it said. So Jesus never had a beginning point. He is not a created being, as some false religions or false interpretations of Christianity teach. For everlasting to everlasting, from the everlasting past to the everlasting future, he always has been, always will be, and is right now the form of God who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, according to Paul's letter to the Philippians. The beautiful prophecies of Isaiah in chapter 7 and chapter 9 reveal this. In chapter 7, verse 14, it says, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can't be any more plain than that. And then the most loved prophecy is Isaiah 9, 6, that says, Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Notice the child was born, but the son was given because the son pre-existed his manifestation in this world. He became a child. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. Yes, he's part of the triune God. Though he was known by many titles, son of David, son of man, son of God, he still accepted worship and claimed to be able to forgive sins, which are things that could only be assigned to God himself. So he's eternally one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God. False cults always rob Jesus of that singular role or that 
identity that is unique altogether. And one of the best signs that the false cult is diminishing Jesus' importance in their worldview. Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right there, Titus 2.13, he's called our great God, not what some of the false cults would assign to him. Psalms 95 verse 3 says, for the Lord is the great God, Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, for the Lord is the great God and he's king above all gods. Recognize who Jesus is. Make him Lord of your life if you haven't done that yet. And realize only in the Bible is the correct revelation of who he is. When his detractors tried to prove he was heretical, and he said, your your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. They said, you're not even yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Attributing to himself, assigning to himself the very name of God that was spoken in the burning bush to Moses. I am that I am. No wonder they wanted to crucify him because they could not believe that the same voice that spoke out of the burning bush to Moses was speaking out of a human form right in front of them, and yet that's who he was, that's who he is. I found out many years ago, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Don't diminish his importance by assigning a lesser role to him. He is everlastingly the image of the invisible God. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.